The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 33 Goblin Dungeons They had marched through the tunnels for days. The goblins had bound her wrists together with a long chain, and they had given her no water and no food. Her captors tormented her as they wished, sometimes for hours, and although the experience was terrifying, and although she feared for her life many times, they did not critically injure her. She had determined from this, though she could not speak their language, that they had some other purpose in mind for her, other than death. Celeste shuddered to imagine what it might be, for certainly creatures such as these had only evil plans in mind. But she was a woman of strong will, and she would tolerate what they did to her, and she would watch keenly for any opportunity to flee from their grasp. Though her dress was in ruins now, hanging from her body in mangled strips, she kept the pace that was set for her, and tried not to cry out when the whip lashed out and struck her, for this would only further attract their evil attentions. She focused on walking straight ahead, bare feet on stone, and she took her cues from the chain, for she was completely blind in the dark. Sometimes, when the goblins were engaged in posturing or arguing, which happened often, she whispered to her lord, Sylvanas, who sent stamina to her body and hope into her heart, while also, secretly, gradually, permitted the worst violations of lash and claw to heal upon her small form. The leader of the goblins was called Maruk. She had gathered this much. She sensed that he was the biggest, and his voice was also the most dangerous. Hendosup, Hendosup, Kagana, Hiwito, Garantal. If any goblin had stepped out of line during the march, she knew that they would need to answer to him. They met sentries along the way, and each time it was Maruk that shouted at them to let them by. Their band passed through several wooden doors and one of stone, further and further into the depths of goblin territory. They passed through yet one more door. Celeste could hear the sound of the door upon its hinges before going inside. At last, she was allowed to stop marching, and she fell to the floor, sleep-deprived and exhausted, and though she feared she would be punished, instead, this was allowed her, and, with her head swimming, she fought the need to sleep, and gasped the pungent air into her lungs. She could feel two goblins at her sides, smaller ones, and she tolerated their presence unwilling to antagonize them. Their hands groped towards her, and their breath was fated, 
but at last the woman realized they were taking off the chains. At first, this was a relief, but her heart would sink to the pit of her stomach when the torch on the wall was lit, illuminating the chamber, and she could see that. Straight ahead of her, there were manacles on the wall for her wrists and her ankles. Maruk stood over her now, and he bore an evil grin, and his intention to lock her onto the wall was clear. Celeste had been brave until now, yet she was suddenly filled with rising dread at the realization that if she allowed herself to be put up on the wall, that she would never escape, that she would never be free again, and that this was the way her life was going to end. She shouted, and she tried to burst through the goblins. The smaller ones were taken by surprise, and she escaped them for a moment, dodging around a large stone slab and searching for the exit. She spied the double doors, and her heart skipped when she saw that the crossbar was not on them, and that they were ajar. Like a gazelle, she leapt for them, aiming at the center, and hoping that the force of her momentum would widen the crack and let her slip through in one motion. Her arms reached out for the doors, and her fingers could feel the texture of the wood as she went forward, and they parted. All the goblins were behind her, and if she could only run, she would never let them catch her again. Her legs were long, and she was through, but not before there came a sudden crack of the whip. It shot out and snaked around her ankle. The speed of her motion pitched her forward, and in her surprise she faltered, and her chin slammed down upon the rock, and she was knocked unconscious. The woman could taste blood in her mouth, and it was Maruk who was bent over her when she came to. He was tightening the straps on her left wrist, and she could feel that the other wrist and her ankles had already been bound. He gave her water. Don't make any more noise tonight, elf girl, said the goblin leader, speaking to her in Manish. And maybe you will have some more to drink on the morrow. You and your friends thought you could escape, even brought low. Gorthak, but there's more of us than there are of you, and the chieftain's gonna reward me plenty for bringing back his personal slave. What the king does get after that, I couldn't care less, but I have the only key, so if he wants his slave, he's gonna have to bargain with Maruk. There you are, traveler. Come and help with the bodies. For the malady has taken from us two of our number. Echo the thief and Kai. If you have enjoyed the writing and the performance of these characters, send your comments and remembrances to Abelenzo. As time allows, these and other comments may be shared upon a future show. 
It is regrettable to see them go. But life is harsh, and life is short in the Iron Realm. The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. The voice of Celeste in tonight's dramatization was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Secrets of the Maze Master, Maze Master, Maze Master. What follows on tonight's Secrets of the Maze Master is one episode of a seven-part series on character stats within the Iron Realm. They are not a part of the Character 8 game experience, but are given as a reference to all those Maze Masters out there who may well be running their own Solitaire Games. Part 1. Character Stat Overview When a new character is created, he or she will be given 6 stats, Strength, Dexterity, Constitution, Charisma, Intelligence, and Wisdom. Although it is possible to give stats to opponents of the tribe, this is not normally done. It is a level of detail reserved, in general, for those members of the character tribe, especially those of the seven classic character types. Elf, Dwarf, Fighter, Wizard, Halfling, Cleric, Rogue. Upon character creation, each stat is determined with a roll of 3d6, and although no re-rolls are allowed, the stats can sometimes be adjusted in order to raise a character's defining stat or stats, but to do so is costly, for it is necessary to take two points away from a given stat before adding one to some other. The stats can indeed determine indirectly what character can be chosen, since high stats give bonuses and low stats penalties. Ideally, a character will have a high number, or at least an average number, in his or her defining stats. And certain character types may have minimum requirements that must be met, or else the character is disallowed entirely. For example, an elf must have a 9 or greater intelligence, a halfling must have a 9 or greater dexterity and constitution, a Yuname needs a 9 or greater charisma, and a dwarf needs a 9 or greater constitution. Beyond this, there may be a level point adjustment for a character whose defining stat is not average. Most characters have only one defining stat, so for example, 
A defining stat of 5 or lower gives a penalty of 20% to all level points earned, while a character with 6 to 8 has a 10% penalty, while a character with 13 to 15 in a defining stat will get a 5% bonus, and a 16 to 18 is good for a 10% bonus on all level points earned. The defining stat for dwarves and fighters is strength. For wizards, intelligence. For clerics, wisdom. And for thieves, dexterity. Elves, halflings, and unime are a little different. Elves have two defining stats, strength and intelligence, while halflings have two defining stats as well, strength and dexterity. Unime have two defining stats, charisma plus the stat of their character type, healer, wizard, or fighter. Or in some cases, Unime have three, strength, intelligence, and charisma for a fighter wizard. A halfling gets a 5% bonus to level points if either strength or dexterity has surpassed 12, or a bonus of 10% if both scores are greater than 12. If a halfling has a low strength, however, a bonus is not possible, and so the standard penalty is given instead, in accordance with the halfling's strength score. For elves, a 5% bonus is granted if both defining stats are above 12. However, if an elf's strength is 13 or higher, and his or her intelligence is 16 or higher, the level point bonus is 10%. For Yuname, if any defining stat is below 9, a penalty of 20% to all level points is given. Otherwise, if Yuname has at least two defining stats at 13 or higher, a 5% bonus is granted. But if at least one defining stat is 13 or higher, and another defining stat is 16 or higher, then the level point bonus is 10% instead. The decision to adjust stats should be made while keeping all these factors in mind. Taking two points away from a given stat in order to raise a defining stat by one. Indeed, only a defining stat can be raised in this manner. Additionally, constitution and charisma can never be raised or lowered unless the character is of the Yuname character type, in which case it is permissible to raise charisma since it is the defining stat. Additionally, dexterity can never be lowered, and further, no stat can go below 9. Bonuses and penalties for high or low stats will be considered in future segments. There are many ways for stats to be raised or lowered through the course of the adventure, with 19 being the ultimate possible for the mortal frame. If a character should ever drop to zero or below in any stat, then death is the result, with no save allowed. Indeed, any character's life essence is strongly connected to these character stats. Characters can also be called to make saving throws against their stats, rolling one D20 and comparing the result to the stat in question. If the D20 comes up equal to or lower than the stat, then the save is passed. Yet higher indicates failure and a result to be determined by the Maze Master. As with all rolls, penalties or bonuses may be applied in unusual situations.
a portion of Keolana's vocals during this episode's Tribal Matters was drawn from audio by Jay Zazvika, friend of the show and 10-year master of freesound.org and contributed under the Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0. For more information, consult this episode's show notes on the Iron website. And again, my thanks, Jay Zazvukek, for your generous contribution to the Iron Realm. Tonight, may we be further acquainted with the eldest of the Uname, Nora. Nora is a female warrior, strength 15, dexterity 10, constitution 14, charisma 15, intelligence 14, wisdom 7. She has nine life points, and she is level one. Aged 23, she was born on the 30th day of Octaris. She has white blonde hair, ice blue eyes, and white skin. Nora stands six foot tall and weighs 149 pounds. Her preferred armor, enchanted plate mail. Her preferred weapon, the sword, her homeland, the Iron Realm. Description Nora is tall and has a muscular yet spartan build. Her eyes are ice blue and her hair is a white blonde falling to her shoulders as straight lines. The bronze colored horn on her forehead is roughly three inches long and it comes to an unusually Sharp point. Personality. Nora tends to be direct and unafraid in her interactions. She respects strength in others and considers those who are strong and disciplined to be her true peers. As a person, Nora is very physical and relates to others through actions rather than words. She demonstrates her regard for others by protecting them in and out of battle. Combat. Nora is at her best with a sword in her hand, and she has few equals. Nora prefers to wade into the front of any fight in order to best control the outcome. Nora is hard enough to take a hit and strong enough to pay it back in kind. Nora arms and armors herself for this style of conflict and when possible prefers to go in shoulder to shoulder with another similarly armed ally in order to best protect those less martial amongst their number. Family. Nora is the eldest of four sisters and together they are the daughters of Hyren and Celeste. Their unicorn bloodline has marked each of them with a small horn and has granted them also special powers. 
and yet each girl considers herself fully human as well as fully unicorn. Twyla, Nim, and Sira defer to Nora in all things, having accepted her almost as a surrogate parent following the abduction of their mother and the disappearance of their father. Nora is indeed affected by the loss of her parents, but she does not show it. Nora presents a confident face to her sisters and, by her example, teaches them to stay strong. The Gamble Nora and her sisters trapped her mother's abductors toward goblin territory, but their progress was thwarted as they were forced to face a cobalt ambush, deadly traps, and their own exhaustion following days without sleep. The Unime avoided a second deadly confrontation with the Dogmen thanks to the intervention of Stockholm's group, and so Nora risked contact with these others in hopes of enlisting their aid and support on their mission. Their welcome was all that could have been hoped for, but although the sisters were given a place to sleep, it soon became clear that these neighboring tribes had severe problems of their own. Current. Under Nora's direction, the Unime have pledged themselves to stay with the tribes of Solus, Bardar, and Kai until they have recovered from the malady. Indeed, it has been discovered that these others are familiar with goblin territory and so may be able to help them find and recover their mother. Nora's sisters have decided to pin their hopes on this chance, but Nora has decided to reserve her optimism until she knows more of what they are up against. Even so, no matter the odds, Nora is sworn to take the fight to the goblins with all the strength she can summon. Whatever has happened to her mother, Nora is determined to find out and, with her last breath if necessary, bring her out alive. The Iron Round, copyright A. Lenzo is an extreme reimagining of the fantasy setting. Today's podcast features selective audio by Kevin McLeod, which can be heard unedited and in full at Incompetech.com. Further information can be found under this episode's summary at TheIronRealm.com and TheIronRealm.blogspot.com. Tribal Matters The twelfth day of Primaris, it is 4 p.m. Level Alpha 1 in the Moss Lichen Room, position 4014, 4219. The entire group is suffering minus 2 to hits, damage, and movement from lack of food and water, although these penalties will fade by the day's end. The spells memorized by the group are as follows. Amazar, Door Denial, Lilena, Sea Magic, and Orson, Invisible Shield. Whilst the life points for the wounded 
are as follows. Solus, five out of eight. Treya, four out of five. Stockholm, nine out of ten. Temek, four out of six. Iona, four out of eight. Paola, three out of eight. Nora, five out of nine. Twyla, three out of six. With regards to the malady, all who are afflicted with it are taking a minus one in combat, and those so afflicted include most of the group. Nora, Sira, Twyla, and Nim are experiencing unusual fatigue as well as respiratory distress. Meanwhile, Kailana, Stockholm, Bardar, Orson, Iona, and Paola are delirious with fever and prone to hallucinations. Meanwhile, the worst is Tamek, who has just slipped into a catatonic state. Treya has the burning fire in her eyes of someone with a score to settle. She has engaged the goblin with the longbow, and since there's no way he can use it in close combat, he is forced to drop it, leaving his weapon behind. Yet the rest of the goblins find themselves trapped between the tribe and the vicious, polearm-wielding Treya, and so they are forced to surrender. As for the escaping goblin, he is heading north for the Crystal Room. So Treya will take one final opportunity to stop him. She quickly stoops for the longbow and looses an arrow. The arrow embeds itself in the door, terrifying the goblin. Hold, says Treya, or the next one won't miss. The goblin pays her no heed and escapes through the door. Shortly later, when the group does make it to the crystal room, in search of the one who had escaped, they discover no sign of him. Gone back for reinforcements, no doubt, says Solus. But we still have time to figure out what to do with these ones. It is clear, says Amazar, that we may no longer stay here. Let us learn what we may from our captives and vacate the premises at once. That's sound advice, says Solus. Though following some experimentation, it is quickly discovered that the goblins do not speak Manish, only their own tongue. Stockholm should be able to talk to them, says Solus. I don't think the dwarf will be speaking to anyone for some time, says Amazar. Then we're going to have to leave them tied, says Solus, and hope that he wakes up. The group decides ultimately that they're in an extremely vulnerable position should they stay in the moss lichen room for the goblin kingdom is a powerful foe, and their group is far from ready for another fight. 35 points into the level point pool for the goblins. The group wastes no time making preparations, deciding to take advantage of the knowledge that the Yuname gave them, and falling back to the secret room, number 15, the Kobold Barracks. It is yet farther from the Waterfall Cavern, and so is only a temporary base camp. So if you have been keeping track of the group's next base camp, do not 
count this one. Your reward is still ahead on a future episode based upon your guess. The six goblin captives are tied by the wrists, though their feet are left free for the march. Their weapons and gear are taken as well, to be distributed as possible amongst the group when they reach the Cobalt Barracks. Those delirious members of the tribe have their wrists tied behind them as well, and are marched along with all the rest. There can be no chances in the tunnels, no chance at all, that they might turn upon those who are sworn to protect them. By 4 p.m. the group is on the march, and those goblins under submission have recovered all their lost life points. It ultimately proves impossible to march any of the delirious companions, for they listen to nothing that is told to them, and are so badly disoriented by the transition that they must all be tied as well, hand and foot. Ultimately, the strength of the goblin captives is put to use, and many of those that no longer have their faculties are tied on tight to their backs. Because of their exhaustion, for lack of food and water, the group is reduced to a movement of only ten feet as they move through the maze. Carefully, Amazar chooses a marching order for the group as follows. In the front, two goblins laden with gear. Behind them, they are threatened by Twyla and Nora. Behind them, Amazar, who is carrying the delirious Kailana, and Lilena, who carries the unconscious Temek. Behind them, Solus, who is carrying Stockholm, and Kana, who carries a torch. Behind them, a goblin who is carrying Orson, and another goblin who carries Paola on his back. Those goblins are threatened by Sira and Nim, who each carry a torch. Behind them, two more goblins, one with Bardar tied to his back, another with the girl, Iona. These last goblins are threatened by Treya and Len, who bring up the back. It will be a dangerous trek to the Cobalt Barracks. And as they leave the moss lichen room and the bodies of Kai and Echo, Kailana begins to yell, frightened and hysterical that they are being left behind. No words calm her, and eventually she must be gagged and then knocked out before the group can at last proceed. As an additional precaution, the rest of those amongst them who are delirious are likewise knocked out, for their voices in the dark would only serve to draw the many vicious creatures down upon them. The goblins are gagged as well, and so into the maze they go. Roaming Creatures Checks At 5.20, position 38.22, a roaming creature is indicated. Let's consult the charts. 
there is a sound of barking, and it is coming from the south, the very direction that the group must go. Indeed, badly weakened from lack of food and water, and devastated by the malady, the tribes have no chance at all to flee, and so they move forward through the dark into danger and towards their own deaths. Tune in next time, Travelers of the Maze, Nora Solis and the others make their way toward the Cobalt Barracks, but is it unguarded? Or does there now come a full regiment? Ready to cut them down where they stand. Play hard or go home! Iron Realm! Ready yourselves. The dogmen are coming.